Well, we bring greetings again this morning in the name of Jesus. I trust the Savior of each one of us, certainly the Savior of the world, and the one who said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We're living in a day and age where we need rest. And Jesus still offers that. He invites us to come. This morning, I'd like to continue on this theme of crucial moments in life. And and there's a subject that I believe... uh, I believe gives us all sorts of opportunities for crucial moments and and all sorts of opportunities for making uh, right and wrong decisions and that is in the life of a family. I'd like to think this morning about the function of a family. Before we go there, I'd like to turn to the book of Esther a little bit again and then maybe read a couple verses from the poem. But in Esther chapter 6, we looked at that last night and and uh, uh, I don't know, I don't think I pointed out in verse 14, of course, Haman had come home and he's, he's now uh, spilling off to his wife and to his friends and saying, oh, this thing, this thing has reversed, this thing is going the wrong direction. And, and then it, it appears like before they could even get to a conclusion or, or get to advice, verse 14, while they were yet talking with him, came the king's chamberlains and hasted to bring Haman unto the banquet that Esther had prepared. And of course, we're not going to go into the story too deeply, but but I'd like to bring this out, or I'd like to point this out to us, that God gives us a picture here. Haman, who had decided he was going to destroy Mordecai, uh, he had built these, these gallows, and he had them all ready for Mordecai. And then things get reversed and he goes to this banquet and Esther, uh, with her courage and, and with the fact that she was willing to step out and say, Lord, if this, if this means my life, that's okay. And I trust that, that we catch that lesson for all of us today that in our building programs and whatever God has called us to build in, it's okay if we lose our life if we do it in faithfulness. I believe it's so, so important that today we don't, we don't fear our life. Jesus said that he who keeps his life is gonna lose it, but he who loses it, and I'm not quite getting the words there, but, but the, the, the thought is there that if you lose your life and sacrifice to God, you're actually gaining your life. And that's what Esther was willing to do, and that's what Haman was not willing to do. And God gives us a picture here that those that build for themselves, and if, if, if I fail to say this, I'm not sure if I've said this, but if, if there's only one thing you remember, I trust that we can remember this fact, those that build for themselves will one day realize their folly. And those that build for the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ one day will live to see a day that they will never regret. Haman was intent on building for himself and he thought he had it all planned and he had these gallows all set. And you know what the Bible says in Psalm chapter 9, verse 16, the end of the verse, it says, the wicked is snared in the work of his own hand. Someday you and I, if we have built for ourselves, if we have built for our kingdom, if we've been intent on, I want what I want and I'm not going to let anything get in my way, one day we will realize the folly and the error of our ways. And what am I intent on building? You know, you don't have to look around in society and I I thought about maybe using this before. This morning it came to my mind, my introduction to Wisconsin wasn't all that great or all that smooth. 
it happened when we, soon after we were in Wisconsin and and we were looking for our culvers and I was going probably 10 or 15 miles an hour slower than I should have been going. And there was people upset. The one went around me and you know he had this expression and, and I didn't even see the one that had a worse expression. Krista said, boy, he is upset. But you know what's interesting? Road rage, and I don't know, I don't know if there's anybody here that struggles with road rage, but if we'd have gone and asked those men, really, is 10 seconds lost on the other end of where you're going? Is, is that going to make a big difference? They'd have probably had to stop and say, no, I guess it really won't. But somehow life is full of opportunities for distractions and for getting upset. And, and I was supposed to have this and I didn't get it. And road rage goes to terrible and tremendous levels. I'm sure you've heard of the man that was upset at the, at the grandparent because they were driving too slow and he, he went around him and pulled out a gun and killed a grandchild, a young grandchild. Now how foolish. I guess he was in a tremendous hurry to get somewhere, but he had time to go around the car and stop and pull out a gun and shoot. Losing all sorts of time, including maybe the rest of his life in prison. But what are your and my distractions? Maybe it isn't road rage. What are your and my distractions? How do we get caught up in the trap of Haman? Only one life, yes, only one. Soon will its fleeting hours be done. Then in that day, my Lord, to meet and stand before his judgment seat. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life, a few brief years, each with its burdens, hopes, and fears. Each with its clays I must fulfill, living for self or in his will. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I'd like to think this morning about the function of a family. And I'm going to share something with you. I in no way feel qualified to speak about this subject. In fact, it's a subject I've... And my wife would, would verify this, would, would, would uh, say, yes, that's right, I've tended to stay away from it because I see my own needs and struggles and undoneness. But I felt God leading me in this, but I just want to encourage you. I'm not, I'm not bringing this message this morning because I have it figured out or because I feel like I'm at a place where I'm qualified. I'm far from it. And in fact, I'm right with you. I believe, but I believe the subject is so, so important that we cannot be silent on it. We have to keep, we have to keep struggling and we have to keep trying and asking God for grace and for strength and for wisdom to learn from our mistakes. And we'll get to this, I'm starting to get ahead of myself now, but, but suffice to say the subject is so, so important. And wherever you find yourselves this morning, whether as a father, as a mother, or as a grandfather, or as an aunt or uncle or brother or child, or wherever you find yourselves, never forget that that's a subject that is so, so important. And eternity will have all sorts of implications by how you and I live within a family. And whether we were willing to take our responsibility and were willing to be faithful. I'm not a very mechanically minded person. 
Uh, it seems like I have to study something for a long time and then I still don't quite see how it's supposed to work. But we have employees, we have one employee especially that I've been intrigued by. He's extremely mechanically minded. He'll look at a machine and I've seen it over and over again. He'll look at a machine and all at once it's like a light bulb goes on in his head. And it's, it's like he gets into the designer's mind and he, oh, oh, I understand why that was supposed to function the way it was and why it's now not functioning the way it's supposed to. And he's able to go in and say, well, well, this is broken or this is wrong or we need to get a technician or we can fix this ourselves. <clears throat> I've been fascinated by watching that. And recently I had, uh, we had an experience, this very same employee, his truck, he was driving his truck and uh, he was going down the road and all at once the, the danger light came on and it said, warning, please pull over immediately or please turn off engine immediately. And he thought, oh no, he's going through, they just bought a property and, and of course those that have bought a property know money is always a problem and he thought now he's going to have to get a new truck. And I believe he had two mechanics that diagnosed this truck. Maybe it was just one, but I believe two told him that the engine is blown, you're going to have to get a new engine. But but he, he had a towed to a garage. The mechanic told him, we're sorry, you're going to have to get a new engine. He said, well, would you mind if I go for a second opinion? Of course, they couldn't stop him. He had the truck towed to another garage. And I believe they had kind of come up with the same conclusion except for one mechanic. In all this diagnosis work, this one mechanic said, now wait a minute. If this is really the case, then the, the, then something doesn't make sense. Something is not consistent here. Uh, there was a place where where the oil pressure should have should have been too low all the time, but this oil pressure was fluctuating. He said, if it's indeed a vacuum problem, like we're concluding it is, then then something doesn't make sense. And he took three hours and he researched this problem, and you know what he found? He found a little screen. I believe it cost about five dollars and eighty nine cents or something like that. That was clogged. They pulled the screen out, put a new screen in, and I've driven that truck a couple times since then. People that understood how it's supposed to work. And I wonder how often, I'm going to speak to myself first of all, I wonder how often Our homes are not functioning the way God intended for them to function. And we're not willing to put forth the discipline and the effort to say, now wait a minute. What does God want from our homes? There's a purpose. That truck has a purpose. That truck is pulling trailers and and doing different things and these machines that, that are not functioning the way they should, they have a purpose and God has a purpose for the home. That He wants you and I to faithfully fulfill our part within that home, whatever that may be. The function of a family. People, and, and I, I hate to use the word mechanically because I think it's an improper word, but I think maybe I should say spiritual. We need to become more spiritually minded when it comes to the function of a family where we say, you know, what did God intend for the family to accomplish and why are we not accomplishing it? And then it goes even further where we say, God, is there something about me? Is there something in my heart? Is there something in my life that is blocking our family from functioning and and accomplishing what you intend for it to accomplish? 
The family has been a major key in God's program for a long, long time. And received some of its, some of His very earliest instructions in Genesis 2 chapter, Genesis chapter 2 verse 24, the Bible says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And you know what? I take that very personal because today that, that not only applied to Adam and Eve and it not only applied to all the people that have gotten married since then, but it applies to us today that, that when, the, when a man and woman or a boy and girl get married, now there's a new home established. And, and sometimes there's been shipwreck made because couples have tried to get away from mom and dad, but mom and dad hung on and, and wouldn't hardly allow it and there's been problems right from the very start but God's design is that when a man and a woman get married they, they pull away they, they start their own home sure there's still influence sure there's still advice sure there's still counsel but now there's a separate unit here that God intends to function as a godly Christian home and I trust that, that I'm speaking to a group of people that understand that and are taking that very, very seriously. Because friends, if you and I want any motivating factor in life, if we think about the function of a family, and if we think about the fact that, that sometimes families fail and we fall down, and friends, I'm right with you, I know what it's like. But if we fail too often for too long, and if enough of us do it, eventually whole societies and churches and communities and eventually whole countries collapse. And we've seen the moral decay and the confusion that today exists. I'm sure you've seen it as you've been out witnessing where, where you ask somebody um, if they're married or, oh yeah, yeah, well we... We have two from this marriage and, and then two from her marriage and then we have three from another marriage and there's a total of seven. To, or, and the, the, the confusion that exists today and children are growing up in this where there's, there's no more absolutes. There's no more moral guidelines and boundaries. But friends, the opposite also is true. That when our children are growing up, knowing the principle, some of you probably read that story in, in the Companions, the, the story paper from CLP, and I don't remember the story all that well, except there was this group of men that, that ended up going back to an island, and, and I think all the men but one was killed on this island, there was, there was natives on the island, but, and one was living a very wicked and lewd life, but somehow he find, found the Lord and he, he married a woman from there and they had a family. And, and years later, somebody came back to this island where this man who had gotten saved was and the difference it has made, had made was astounding and incredible. Today, if you and I are intent on building the Christian home, it will have positive effects. I'd like to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 6. There's, there's a responsibility there for parents that's laid out very, very clearly in Deuteronomy 6. And while I know we struggle and while I know uh, there's, there's things we go through and questions we have and things that come up, let's not forget some of the, the things that God tells us to. And I'd like to think about three things that I think are so important for our youth and our children as they grow up and then they leave our homes. I think they're so important that they know beyond a shadow of a doubt when they leave our homes. The first one is what God commands and expects from His people. It's not a popular message. Don't you tell me something is commanded. Don't you tell me there's a God that still that spoke thousands of years ago and He still expects His people 
to heed to that. That's so much the mess. There's so much that's out there today that is, that is trying to undermine and, and crowd God right out of the picture. And we talked about it in Sunday school. But the first one is what God commands and expects from His people in verses 1 and 2. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments which, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all His statutes and His commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. I believe we have a responsibility as parents to still tell our children what God commands and expects from His people. Oh, friends, let's not buy into the message that, oh, you know, we're going to offend them, we're going to turn people away by telling them that God expects this, God expects holiness, God expects obedience, God expects submission. Friends, if, if people are offended at that message, we have no right to change the message. Number two, what God did for their parents in years past. I believe it's so important. Verses 20 to 23, And when thy son asketh thee in time to come, saying, What mean the testimonies and the statutes and the judgments which the Lord our God hath commanded you? Then thou shalt say unto thy son, We were Pharaoh's bondmen in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and sore upon Egypt, upon Pharaoh, and upon all his household before our eyes, and he brought us out from thence, that he might bring us into the, give us the land which he sware unto our fathers. Friends, I wonder, do our children have any idea what God did for mom and dad in years past? Or did He do anything for us? Do we have a testimony? Do we have the testimony of the psalmist where he said he brought me up out of a horrible pit and he set my feet on the solid rock? He brought me out of the miry clay. I know I'm not getting that quite verbatim. But He brought me out of that miry clay, the place that was instable and sinking. And I look back and I think about those years and I wonder, have my children... Do they realize what God did for their dad, for their mom in, in years past? And number three, we find it in verse five of Deuteronomy chapter six. And it's simply this, that you love God with all your heart, soul, and might, and love nothing more. Verse five, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. If our children leave our homes questioning what I love best, I believe we failed at perhaps the highest level of failure. And I know we can go back and repent, but I'm, I'm saying this this morning, I'm speaking to myself that if there are things in my life that I love more than my walk, than my Jesus, and my God, if there are things that I love more than that, let's repent now. So that our homes can function more properly the way God designed them to function. There are so many things, and I'm getting off on another trail, but there are so many things to love today. There's technology, and there's there's work, and, and, and a lot of these things used in their proper place are all well and good, but if they if they take our passion, if they take our hearts, where our children wonder, what does Dad really love best? I believe we need to repent. I'd like to look at some practical ways now in different areas of responsibility and function in the Christian home. And the first one is to fathers. And I know I'm going to spend a lot more time on this. It's because I am a father and I see my own struggles and undoneness. 
But there are three things I'd like to think about in Father's responsibility. And the first one is leaders. In 1 Corinthians 11.3, we'll just turn back to the New Testament, read a couple of verses. 1 Corinthians 11.3, where the Bible says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. I, I'm not sure that those words are quite as difficult to understand as society has made them. How often do we say, well, I'm, I'm not sure what my responsibility is, but fathers were called to lead. Now, we're called to lead in a certain way and we must never forget that. We don't lead by, by roughly running over people and, and ignoring the counsel of our companion or, or even the counsel of our children at times. Please don't. Let, let's not just throw that away. But we are called to lead. We're called to be faithful leaders. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23 where the Bible says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Again, we work with our wife. We work with our family. We Number one, we have a relationship with God where they can see that I am being led by somebody else. Somebody, and I forget who I heard say this recently, or maybe I read this somewhere, but I believe it's so true that we cannot lead until we're willing to be led. So, so important that we find ourselves under the, under the authority and the submission of Jesus Christ. And then we're ready to lead. And we need to lead. And I wonder, how much time have we spent as fathers asking God to show us? You see, as leaders, one of our responsibilities is to look further down the road. I'm sure your church leaders here would tell you, that you know, if, if their vision is about three weeks down the road, there's going to be major, major trouble. If our vision as fathers in our homes is about two years down the road, there's going to be major, major trouble. Have we, have we asked God to show us what, the, what 30 years after choices looks like? Where are families today that were paying too little attention to devotional life? Where are families today that attending church on Sunday morning was the greatest of plenty, anything else was a bonus and not to be expected of us? Where are families that were always are often critical of the church and her leaders? Where are families that were not willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ? You know, it's about me. It's about our program. It's about our plan. Where are families that were not willing to sacrifice for the sake of Christ? Where are families today that 30 years ago were dabbling with the world and trying to get as close as they could without ending up in the world? And you know, we like to think, you know, we... Somehow we're special. We can follow the same patterns and habits and we'll end up different. Really? Friends, I speak from experience. And Recently I was in a church setting that I used to be very familiar with. And I had to look around. I think I mentioned this in the first sermon maybe where the coverings had now shrunk. I figure it's about 25% of what it was when I was more familiar with this church setting. 
And fathers, there's a question there as we lead. The things that we hold dear, the things that we really value and treasure, are they going to diminish? I'll throw the question out. Are they going to diminish? Number two, we as fathers are called to be examples. That's one of the key ways that God calls us to lead is by being examples. Very, very key. In First Peter chapter five, verse three, and I realize that these this is talking about church leaders, but I believe it spills over, and and I believe there's a there's a lesson we can take for our homes. First Peter five three says, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples or examples to the flock. And First Corinthians eleven verse one says, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. The Greek word for examples or examples and followers both have the idea of imitators. And fathers, really, do we want our children to imitate us? And I understand we, we, we feel overwhelmed. We, we feel like, you know, I have, I have too much room in my own life to grow. But let's not forget that God has established a pattern. You'll, you'll find that in so many places here. Remember what God said to Abraham? He said, for I know him that he will command his children after him. He was leading, but he was leading in a way that was an example that his children could safely follow. And when Paul said, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, there's a God-ordained pattern here that I believe will do so much for people that come out of our, our homes and then also come out of our churches and and go out for service. There's a God-ordained pattern here that they need to have examples that are safe to follow. My children, if if I fall down on the job and, and I'm not an example that is safe for them to follow, I've fallen down. I've failed. And I need to repent. And you know what's wonderful about it? Is Jesus Christ Himself set the pattern. We don't have to come up with some some new way of doing this. Jesus Christ Himself set the pattern. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9 say, Though He were a son, yet learned He obedience by the things which He suffered, and being made perfect, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey Him. I wonder what we would think of Jesus Christ if today He... You know, if, if, if somehow he was asking more of us than he was willing to do himself. Is there anything he asks of us that he was not willing to do himself? I believe it's a pertinent question. And then there's a question that goes right along with it. What will our children think? if they leave our homes and feel like we ask more of them than we asked of ourselves. And if we're honest with ourselves, will we want them to respond to life's problems the way we have? Where those looking on would say, you know, that was not a godly response, that was a selfish response. Is that how we want our children to relate to life's problems? Do we want them to drive the way we do? We're about ready to put our third child on the road and 
Yeah, I know it can be a it can be a stretch. But what example have they seen in Dad? Will we want them them to have a devotional life like we do? Will we feel good if, if years down the road we realize that their their devotion to God and the way it comes out and, and how they spend time with Him is the same as we're doing? What about the attitudes we have? What about how merciful we are to others? And fathers, I'd, li- I'd like to just throw this out because I, you know, again, we're, we're in Wisconsin, but I have a feeling things are pretty similar to the way they are in Ohio. But what, what, what goes on in here? What thoughts are you allowing to stay there and go round and round in your head. And I understand it's not a sin to be tempted. I understand there's times we have thoughts that, that we need to turn to God and we need to ask Him for deliverance. But, but if we're honest with ourselves, what, what kind of thoughts are we allowing to be in here and to, to go over and over that we're pondering, that we're harboring? Is that what we want for our children? I believe, fathers, one of the greatest gifts that we can give our children is to live what we teach. And when we realize, you know what, I'd like to teach this stronger, but it doesn't make sense with the way I live. Let's not throw both out. That's the way of the world. That's the way that so many today, if you watch our responses are today, so many are saying, let's just take the least common denominator. Let's not shoot high. Let's just throw both out. But you know what God says? You know what Jesus says? He has the same message He had for the Pharisees. He said, don't throw away the things that you're doing right. Just make them consistent. If the inside of the platter and the outside don't line up, well, don't throw them both out. Make them both clean. And that's what He still calls us to do today. And number three is unselfishness. Fathers, I believe there's a lesson here for us. Matthew chapter 20, verses 26 to 28. Jesus had a message for His people. He said, But it shall not be so among you, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Is there room for some admonition in our lives, fathers, in the area of selfishness? And let me just say this. Well, let me, let, let's talk a little about Ephesians 5. You know, we, we talked about that verse that calls fathers to lead. You know what it goes on? It calls fathers to love their wives as Christ loved the church. Nothing, nothing was ever too great for him to fulfill God's will for his life, including giving his life for the church. Fathers, where's our love? Where's our... Where are we at with selfishness and, and, and this area of unselfishness that Jesus called for? You know, maybe you don't have hobbies here in Wisconsin, but you know, I've seen this area, and, and let me say this before I say it, that I believe hunting and fishing can be a wonderful thing for a father and son. I, I've seen some wonderful things. But fathers, I wonder sometimes... What would we think if, if hunting season, if, if women had a shopping season? Where for about three weeks before it started, they had to go, they didn't have time for much tonight because we're going to have to go scout out the area and figure out exactly how we're going to get the best deals. 
And then for two weeks after the shopping season, they'd have to go around and make sure things are all settled down again and maybe pull some things out. Maybe they had cameras set up. I don't know. But what would we think? Now, let me hasten to say I'm not a hunter, but I am a fisher. I love fishing. And I could allow myself to go to depths and I probably have gone too far at times. But where are we at with our hobbies and with selfishness? And do we have time that God wants us to have for our children, for our families? You know, and I'm sure there's there's here there's people here that have realized, you know, we're going to have to temper this, and and maybe when, once the boys are a little older, maybe it'll work out a little better. And God bless you for that. I think that's wonderful. It can be wonderful time hunting and fishing. A father with his sons hunting and fishing. I think it can be wonderful. But let's not. Let it get us to where we're neglecting our responsibilities because of our hobbies as fathers. I remember so well going to a home, and, and I almost hesitate to share this because I don't know was it like it appeared or not, but, but in my mind it sure looked like this where I went to this home to pick something up, I believe it was, and, and mom was inside with the children, and dad was outside in the garage, he had his truck sitting there, and he was adding some accessory or something to the truck. How often are mothers called to give and give and give and give and give? And can we help lighten that load as fathers? I'm speaking to myself. Number two, mothers. You know, there's a beautiful design in the home. Uh, there, there, you look at you. You want to see at, at the wisdom. You want to see the wisdom of God and and see how He designed things. Just look at the fact that He put a father and a mother in a home. It's a beautiful picture when both are in their God-given place. A beautiful picture. He made a parental team of a father and a mother, and and. From Again, from the very start, back in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a help meet for him. What a beautiful plan and design of God. And, and as fathers, as we're called to bear the brunt of responsibility of leadership in the home, mothers have been called from the start to bear the, the call of being a helper. And I look back. I'd like to share, I'd like to just encourage you mothers. This, this is not meant to discourage anybody. If there's areas in our life where we need to change, let's let God help us change, but this is not meant to discourage anybody. I'd like to encourage you mothers, whether you're young, just recently married, or a grandmother, or wherever you are at in that stage, I do not believe we can overemphasize the need for mothers to be in the role that God called them to. I look back and I wonder where I would be today were it not for the power of a praying mother. You know, she loved me through times when I was really unlovely. And I look at times when my wife, in fact, just on our trip, we have some children at home and, you know, she's able to, somehow they're just able to meet needs that are, that are a little tough for us as fathers to meet some. They're helpers. Children understand that, that there's somebody there that is willing to help and willing to, to do, you know, to help give advice or whatever the case may be. And I believe God gave mothers a softness and a sensitivity that is usually missing in us as fathers. We're a little more crude, a little more, 
rough and tough and it has its place. God God has designed for that to be a blessing in some areas. But I believe God gave mothers a softness and a sensitivity that has been used tremendously in homes where they've been willing to stay in their place. The Bible says in 1 Samuel, verse, 1 Samuel chapter 25 where the Bible talks about Abigail and it talks about the fact that her husband was... What does it say? He was a churlish man, churlish and foolish or something like that. But the Bible says Abigail was of good understanding and of a beautiful countenance. I believe there's, there was a soft, there was a sensitivity there that here was a dangerous situation. She realized that they could lose their lives in a short order of time. But she went and she pled and she interceded and everything turned out much different than it could have. Because God had given her that understanding. Unfortunately, there's also the negative. In Second Chronicles chapter 15, verse 16, when, when Asa came to the throne, it says that he had to have his mother removed because she had an idol out in the field. In 1 Kings 21, and this is one we're probably the most familiar with, where Jezebel and her husband Ahab, he wanted this vineyard. And... Uh, of course, he had this long face and he, he wouldn't eat and he was laying on his bed pouting like we do sometimes as fathers. And you know what? She, this is just putting it into my own words. She said, oh, you know, you just let me have a turn here. You just let me take over. We'll see what happens here. And in Second Chronicles chapter 22, verses 10 to 12, when Athaliah wanted control. And the Bible says she had all the seed royal slew. But God was still in control. God worked something out. God had one of the one of the seed royal hidden, and but you know so obviously that you, you find you find cases where there was mothers, where there was ladies that were ladies that were out of their place, and they wanted control. They wanted to influence. They wanted power. They wanted to to influence this situation. And I believe it's not what God has in mind. And when a mother's sensitivity causes her to become vocal and tear down her husband, perhaps tear down others, the end result will be chaos and collapse. I'm not sure why my mind goes here now, but I heard the testimony of a church leader one time where they were in a meeting because there was a child that needed to be dealt with. And this mother told the bishop in no uncertain terms that he's not allowed to deal with her son. No, he told, she told him in no uncertain terms that he's not allowed to tell her son what to do. Now, isn't that ironic? Here's a mother telling the bishop exactly what he's supposed to do, but he's not allowed to tell the child what he's supposed to do. God never designed for that softness and sensitivity to cause a mother to want to manipulate and step out of her God-given role. I remember hearing the testimony. This was a first-hand testimony of a, a mother that, that really wanted something very badly for her husband. To, wanted her husband to do something very badly. And she let him know about it. Till God finally reminded her, you know what? You're speaking so loudly in his one ear that he can't hear me speaking. And she quit. You know what's ironic? She got exactly what she wanted. 
but she got it in a God-honoring way. And I would say, mothers, if you're allowing that softness and that sensitivity to drive you to your knees, and it's not wrong to talk to your husbands, to encourage them, but don't let it cross over the line of nagging. I believe it was Brother Lester years ago in our church in Virginia when he was there for revivals, he said, it's okay to nag. Just nag God. How often do we have it reversed? We, we kind of speak casually and haphazardly to God, but then we go nag the person we see as being able to change this circumstance, we ought to get it reversed. And speak carefully to those that we have contact with, but then if if this is something God wants, if this is His will, He won't mind if we come over and over and we pour out our hearts to Him. And I believe mothers that are allowing that softness and sensitivity to to drive them to their knees and, and then they get back up off their knees and they have a freedom that God designed for you to have. And then you can go be a Proverbs 31 mother again. Because you've safely laid your burdens at the foot of the cross and you now know again that God is in control and you can rise up and go meet the needs of your family. There's a powerful example for us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. This is talking about a man that God used to be a leader in the early church. I wonder what kind of influence, I wonder what kind of things he accomplished as a leader in the early church. But the Apostle Paul says, When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Do you think there would have been opportunities for Eunice and Lois to have a completely different approach? I highly think so. But God used their faith, their sensitivity, their dedication to God to help prepare this young man to be a leader in the early church. And the question is there then, where is that softness and sensitivity taking you? Is it taking you to your phones, whether it's in texting or whether it's in Social media, is, is there just a constant drive for that? Or, or is it in gossip or slander or wanting to have control? Where is it taking you? I believe God wants you, wants it to take you to your knees and to learn to, to relate in a way He can honor. Number three, children. And I want to hurry on. But you talk about the design of God and now here... That there's something that's that's just tremendous and wonderful. One of the greatest blessings in life. And friends, I've been there six times. And I can tell you, I've been there six times when our children were born physically. I've been there four times when our children were born again. And those are some of the most precious moments and memories that I think I'll ever have in life. It's like the example of a father told me one time, he said, you know, when, he, when I first took my new son to church, he said the sky was a little bluer, the grass was a little greener, and the sun shone a little brighter. And I know what he's saying. It's a tremendous and a wonderful blessing. But we should not be surprised, those of us as parents, as we look around and we see these children come with energy, sometimes at the end of the day we wonder, how can they not be out of energy yet? I still don't understand. That's a mystery I don't think I'll ever understand. It seems like they can go wide open all day and still not be out of energy by the end of the day sometimes. But the Bible gives us a lot of instruction. Proverbs 6.20, 
My son, forsake not thy father's commandment and forsake not the law of thy mother. Bind them continually upon thine heart and tie them about thy neck. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 1 Children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. And I wonder I know I'm speaking to a wide variety. There's anything from probably two months old to 22 years old. I don't know. But has the attitude of I know best, has it pervaded the state of Wisconsin? Has it pervaded the churches up here at all? I know an old man, and he told me this. He had a sense of humor. He's, he's dead and gone now. Sometimes I wish I could still talk to him. He, said, he told me one time he was born at the exact wrong time. He said when he was born, the older people knew everything. But by the time he got there, the younger ones did. But I have, a, I have a, a challenge for you as young people. And that is that you learn to subject yourselves to your parents. You know, we're not going to turn to this. Time is moving on. But in Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 52, where Jesus, there's a familiar scene there where, where Joseph and Mary were looking for Jesus. They found Him talking to the, to the teachers there and He was teaching them. And you know what the Bible says right after that? It says he went back with them and he made himself subject unto them. And I know you can say, oh, oh, but you don't understand my parents. They simply don't get it. They don't understand. Really. Now are you saying by that that God somehow made a mistake? And by the way, we have teenagers. We have four of them. And they're not exempt from this kind of attitude. But I don't believe, again, I don't believe we can overemphasize the importance of you to learn subjection and submission before you leave the homes that God placed you in. Fathers and mothers, we need to do our part. We need to train. We need to teach. We need to, we need to set examples. And children, I believe this is God's This is a God-given role that you learn to submit and subject yourself. Sure, there may be times down the road when God leads you to different settings and, and maybe there's a different kind of freedom there. I understand that, but you will never regret when you leave your home that you have learned to submit and subject yourselves to your parents. And by the way, if there are those here, if there are those here that are married or whatever the case may be, and you've never gone back and apologized when that attitude was prevalent when you were a youth, I would highly encourage you to do it. There are things from my youth that I regret that I wish I would have taken a different approach and today it's too late. Sure, I can go back and apologize to my parents and I have. But it's too late. That window of opportunity is there when your parents ask things of you that you'd rather not do. Learn to submit and be subject unto them. You'll never regret it. Number four. Grandparents. And it's a role we probably don't hear that much of, but friends, I want to tell you, I believe it's an an incredibly important role. I lost my last grandparent when I was, I think I was six years old when my last grandmother died. So I have almost no memories of grandparents, but I've rejoiced to see my children enjoying not only grandparents, but great-grandparents and the influence that they can have in these children's lives. 
Proverbs chapter 16, verse 31, The hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found in the way of righteousness. And I don't know, has the enemy ever tempted you to believe, you know what, my time of influence is over. I can't do anything anymore. But I encourage you, don't buy that lie. There's so much you can still do in encouraging your grandchildren that are wanting to walk with the Lord, encouraging them, helping them down that road, and encouraging those that you think are not wanting to walk with the Lord. There's there's a story that that we're familiar with. This is a story that happened in my wife's home area where a man went into a very unfortunate situation. He had married a woman. He was out living a pretty worldly life, but then this woman died and things went from bad to worse. He married another woman who left her husband to marry him. This is a man that grew up in an Anabaptist setting and, and now he's involved in this divorce and remarriage and, and people are so concerned, but there's a son there. And I'm not sure how old the son was. He was, he was pretty young when his mother died and, and not, not many, too many years later, this, his dad remarried. But this son began to grow up. And I, if I remember right, the family kept reaching out and they kept encouraging him. And, and I don't know how much the grandparents, what all their role was, but I know the family kept reaching out. And when this son came to an older age, you know what he decided? I don't want the path of my father. I want a different path. Today, he's been baptized... He's a member of an Anabaptist church and I believe he's engaged to be married. And I share that with you as grandparents. Don't ever forget the critical role you play in our homes to encourage your grandchildren in the ways of godliness. I'm just about done. Number five, singles and those who don't have any children. And I just encourage you again that that God's grace, and I don't know if there's, there's older singles here, I'm not very familiar with the church, but God's grace is big enough for Him to, to lead us into all sorts of things. I love the verse in 1 Peter 4.10 where it says, As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You know what that word manifold means? Various and divers and... The grace of God is so big this morning. It doesn't matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether as a father, as a mother, as a child, as a grandparent, as an older single, or maybe as a married couple who don't have children, whatever that may be, we need to be good stewards of the manifold grace of God that is able to keep us and lead us in all kinds of different ways. And God will give us that grace. In closing, I'd like to think about Two things that I believe are so, so important that come out of our Christian homes. In 1 Peter 4, verse 8, it says, And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. The Bible also talks about putting on charity. And it says we're to be clothed with humility. We're to be kind one to another. And I wonder, you know, as we're struggling, as we're faltering and often failing in our homes, is there love in our homes? Love is kind of the oil and the grease that keeps things flowing smoothly in the way God intended them to flow. You know, does that does that verse where it says, For charity shall cover the multitude of sins, does that mean we can live in sin in our homes and live haphazardly and carelessly, but somehow love will just cover everything? No. With all my heart, I don't believe it's what it means. I believe it means that 
Yes, we give it our best. We give it our all, but we will come short. We will fail. But friends, let's not fail to let love and humility pervade our home. There's a story that I heard, a very sad story. I'll just quickly share it. It's about a a family that were sending their children to a school. And this family was kind of different. I don't know what all the case was. But I heard the story years later from somebody that attended that school. And he said that family's experience in school wasn't very good. Because they were different. And you know what I find so tragic? Perhaps God had this family send their children there thinking, here's other students from godly Christian homes that can help meet the needs of this family. But instead, there was mockery. There was laughing. And I ask you this question, is love and humility and kindness coming out of our homes? Ephesians chapter 3, verse 15. The only place that the New Testament uses the word family. The Apostle Paul is praying. He says, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. And this morning I say, God bless you as you strive to build your family on earth to be a blessing to the family in heaven until that day, that glad day, when we can all be together with our Father. Shall we kneel for prayer? Our Father in heaven, this morning we bow before you. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for the fact that you are good, you are overall Thank you, Lord, for the fact that you designed the family to function as a blessing in your kingdom. Lord, this morning we realize we are, we are but humans and, and we've often failed and we've come short. And we pray, the Lord, you would help us. Help us not to give up. Help us not to, to fail the, the, the responsibility that you've given us. Help us to continue to be faithful. Lord, be with this fruit. Thank you that you know each one. You know all of our hearts. And thank you that you're big enough to meet all of our needs. Help us to continue to come to you, to allow you to minister to us, to give us strength and grace to go on. Would you just continue to lead and guide and direct all for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name.